Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. Music educator Keith Osvath is passionate about helping other directors improve their craft. He maintains an active schedule as a blogger, professional development leader, and clinician for his middle school bands. He's a dad, coffee addict, runner, Northwoods fisherman, and edtech enthusiast. Keith has been sharing his lifelong passion for music with students at the Rotolo Middle School in Batavia, Illinois, a six-time NAMBEST community for music education since 2000. Keith currently directs the symphonic band, eighth grade band, and jazz ensemble, while finding unique ways to integrate technology to enhance his students' learning. In addition to being a dedicated middle school teacher, Keith teaches graduate courses at Vandercook College of Music. He has presented numerous professional development sessions for music educators at various state and national conferences and has been recognized through the Chicagoland Outstanding Music Educator Award in 2015 and twice by Who's Who Among America's Teachers. Most recently, he was inducted to the Nazareth Academy Fine Arts Hall of Fame in 2018. Keith is part of the ILMEA Clinician Network, which provides professional development to music educators across Illinois. He has had the distinguished honor of being an Illinois summer youth music conductor at the University of Illinois Champaign-Urbana and is the co-founder and coordinator for the middle school concert band camp at the Music for All Summer Symposium held at Ball State University. So I'm really thrilled this week uh, to welcome Keith Osvath to the show. Keith, I found out about you because you did a webinar with one of our guys, uh, Mike Olander, a couple of weeks ago. And I was just like, wow, this is so cool. I didn't know. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I, we really appreciate the love. And, and I've seen your name on our Facebook pages, uh, helping out other teachers. So um, you've come very, very highly recommended from Mike Olander. And I'd really like to thank you for taking time out of your busy kind of teaching schedule to uh, speak with me today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm really honored to be able to do this podcast with you. Awesome. So Keith, um, what, the way I start out every um, podcast is, you know, uh, asking uh, you to kind of trace your steps from like how you got interested into, in music, maybe, maybe from your high school or where, whenever it was that you caught the bug, as they say. Um, up to the point where you are today teaching at Rotolo Middle School. And that's right outside of Chicago, isn't it? Yeah, we're about uh, 30, 35 miles west. Okay, very cool. So yeah, if you can give us that, that like your, your story, I'd re I, I'm sure our listeners would love to hear it. Yeah, so I, um, I didn't start playing trombone, which is my main instrument, until I was a freshman in high school. I had a piano background. And um, my parents kind of said, hey, why don't you maybe think about being in the band when I, I was going from junior high to high school? And, um, you know, I just said, OK, so <laughs> I ended up joining the band and started taking trombone lessons the summer before my freshman year 
with the band director. And in fact, trombone was even my first choice. Um, I want to play percussion. Right. And uh, don't even know why. I think probably good, just because it looked fun. But the director said, um, no, you can't play percussion. We got too many of those. So you can play clarinet, French horn, or trombone. So uh, I just chose trombone. He gave me my first lesson, you know, that day. And, um, you know, I just kind of ran with it. My parents were super supportive. I, you know, I, I was able to get private lessons throughout my high school experience. Uh, it was a small high school, but we had a really strong band program. And um, I really liked music. I had such great experiences there from going from camps and um, different directors coming in and working with us and um, really thought about majoring it in majoring in music in college, but said I would I didn't want to teach. I was really against teaching. Um, right. And joined uh, or went on to college, um, ended up majoring in music business. I went to a, a regional university in Illinois called Western Illinois University. Yeah. And they had a really a very strong music program, um, some really great directors in both uh, jazz and uh, wind ensemble, and um, ended up getting a scholarship there. And after doing some of the music business courses my freshman year, um, I got asked to teach at a high school band camp, you know, marching band stuff like fundamentals, drill, things like that. And I absolutely loved it. And when I went back to school that fall as a sophomore, I changed my major to music ed. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That's great. That's very cool. Yeah. So I was definitely more open to it and really thought, yeah, this is something I can see myself doing. That's great. So, um, yeah, very, very similar story. I did not want to be a teacher and I got a job as a, a, the pit conductor in my old high school. Um, and I was like, okay, I'll do that. Cause it's, you know, it's, it's a couple grand. I, I, that sounds great. And I really, really enjoyed it. That's probably yeah. one of the reasons that's very cool. So I also love the idea that, you know, you didn't have a choice. Well, you had a choice of three instruments and your director said, you're going to play one of these. I, I always find that <laughs> right. fascinating that like, you know, this is where I have holes in the band. So this is what you could play. It's, it's, yeah. It's, and, you know, I didn't know any better. I mean, I'm not going to argue with him. I don't even know the guy. So it's like, well, OK, I'll just pick there you trombone, go. I guess. <laughs> so um, then, you know, how did you get to the middle school you're at now? Was that right out of college or yeah. Tell us about your kind of your teaching. Yeah. So, career. you know, really similar to, to probably most um, uh, students that graduate from their undergrad is um, you know, I think it's pretty typical that you graduate from college and you want to, you want to have a high school program. Yep. You know, you're, you're usually playing high level music in college and um, you know, that's where you think your path will, will naturally take you. Um I didn't get my first job at a high school. I got it at a junior high and really it was just kind of a fluke because I graduated in December and there just happened to be a position that opened up halfway through the year and I interviewed for it and up getting it. And it was really a, just a, a phenomenal program. They had in Illinois, there's a, um, uh, a festival called Super State, and it's like the best high school and the best middle school bands um, audition to perform. It's a two-day festival at the University of Illinois, and you know you get to perform in in Cranert Center. And yeah, yeah. this 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 program, I mean, had performed, I believe, it was the year before at Super State. You know, the year before I got there. Wow! So it was really a top-notch program, and really learned a ton from uh, the head director that was there. And stayed there for a couple of years, uh, end up moving on to um, another middle school, 
and um, stayed there for a couple of years. In the meantime, my wife, who was also uh, a middle school band director, they had opened up a position and added, the program was just growing and they added uh, another band position. So I interviewed for it. And that's how I came to Rotolo because that's where she had been teaching at for oh, a couple wow. of years. Okay. So we were, we both worked together for, um, let's see, for, for five years. Well, I got to um, ask how, how, you know, what's that like? <laughs> I, I mean, my wife is, my wife's a ballet instructor. And so I, even I, I, we've never worked together officially, let's put it that way. Yeah. But I love, what is that? So both of you band directors in the same middle school, how cool is that? It, it, yeah. So we, uh, you know, it, it worked out great. Um, terrific. Now, if I had to work with my wife, ain't going to happen. Right, right. Um, we, we've great. been married too long. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> That's wow. So, um, yeah. So why don't you, uh, by the way, before we get into like your specific program, uh, I spent my whole, I mean, very similar kind of thing. I, I, when I graduated, I wanted to be a high school band director. Um, period. And I ended up being an elementary school band director in three different elementary schools, like as an itinerant. And it was not what I thought I was going to get. And, uh, mm -hmm. and you kind of make it work. But the middle school, I, I just want your insight on this before we dive into the rest is when I was in an under when I was in an, uh, when I was an undergrad, I, if they said, what is the absolute worst thing teaching position you can possibly imagine I would have said being a middle school general music and band teacher that if that is what I end up doing I, I'll go crazy and of course that's what I ended up doing I'd love to know like your take on middle school versus high school you probably worked with different age groups what is it about middle school uh, middle school band specifically that you love man you know I, I think I really love just their personalities um yep. you know I as as a parent I have three kids and my two oldest are middle school age and you know kids at school their personalities are different and oh yeah probably <laughs> most probably better at school than they are at home like yeah. and you know what when parents say gosh i don't know how you teach middle school i'm like these kids are great they i are. said they're fun um you know they're they're really engaging we have good conversation they're they're excited they have good attitudes and like really my kid I, I mean really they're they're different kids at school and um I just this is the only age group I've I've taught um you know as far as my career goes but it's I, I really like this this age group I'm really happy doing this level um what I find particularly interesting is and and challenging is that you know these kids can the sky's the limit but they can only do what you teach them yep. so it, it, when, when you, you when they can't play something or they're struggling with something really you have to look at yourself and be like well did did you teach that to them did you give them the tools did you did you skip some things and expect them to do that i mean you really have to look in the mirror and you can't blame anyone else so it's, it's ab yeah, absolutely. very empowering i, I, I think when, when people ask me like what i what it what it is about middle school i i really think the goldilocks effect right it's this sweet spot between you're not starting them out and you're not, you know, you, you have the ability to do some really wonderful playing with them. Yes. Um, and, and by the same token, they're really excited to be with you all the time. And I worked with high school kids as part of my career and they just always had this giant chip on their shoulder where they were questioning whether or not how good of a music teacher I was, how good of a conductor I was. So I <laughs> love this kind of, I don't want that. I found their personalities at the middle school were almost the exact same as mine. So our sense of humor was uh, very, very similar and they laughed at my jokes. Um, yeah, they're yeah. not all angels, but I, I absolutely love that age. 
Right. Yeah. That that's it. That's exactly how I feel too. I think they're really similar to my personality. Um, you know, I think I'm probably cracking jokes most of the time Yeah, that's same um, and, with me. <laughs> and goofing around with them. So yeah, it's, it's, it's just a, a place in my career that I, I I'm really happy right now. Great. Well, uh, the, the next question, you know, used to be really easy, but now I have to have to qualify it. So why don't you tell us about your program at Rotolo, every all your teaching duties. And because we're, you know, we're in the middle of still in the middle of a pandemic, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, is that program, has it shifted at all? Has it changed? Are you still doing exactly the same? You know, talk about your program pre-COVID and what it is now, if you don't mind. Sure. Yeah, we're at a, at a fairly large middle school. Um we're uh, one high school, one middle school, six elementary school ah, district. Wow. Yep. And, um, you know, it's uh, just a, really a great place to be. And our middle school has about 1,200 kids in it. Um, we have over, you know, I'll say pre-COVID, we have over 600 kids wow. involved in band, orchestra, and chorus. And what's the total um, size of the school? That's huge. Uh, almost almost 1,200. So we... We have more than more than half the kids are involved in in an ensemble. That's awesome. Yeah, and it's everything is grade level based. So sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Um, we have a bunch of extracurricular music ensembles, like two jazz bands. We have a symphonic band that meets um, outside of the school day, and that's like our audition group that sixth, seventh, and eighth graders can be in. Um, you know, we've got an extracurricular string group. We've got two extracurricular choirs, one, one of them being a, a show choir. So it's, you know, a, a really extensive program. And um, I, I'm really lucky to have some outstanding colleagues. We all team teach together. Oh, so cool. I teach, although I primarily teach band, I'm also teaching some orchestra too. And that's kind of like all of us. We all uh, even though we're teaching band, we're also teaching some chorus or if we're teaching chorus, we're teaching some orchestra too. So um, it, it's really a good model and allows us to do um, like small group lessons. So pre-COVID, we were doing pull-out lessons during our, our music rehearsals so kids wouldn't have to miss uh, another class because right. everything just happens during rehearsal time. So there were two teachers available oh, for, I see. That's very cool. for every rehearsal time. Yeah. Um, now, and the, you know, how many, how many music teachers in total at your school? Uh, five. Wow. That's very cool. I mean, it's a lot of kids, but I, I, I never had more than one other music teacher with me in my whole career. So uh, that, yeah, you know, and I, and I'll say it's like, it's, you know, we're, we're teaching like in Disneyland, like it's, it's really great to have five, that's uh, amazing. five teachers. Now, uh, once COVID hits, um, you know, we still have five teachers, but, um, really this year has been mostly hybrid. Um, we've, we started late. Our hybrid didn't really kick in until October. Um, so we were all remote in the spring. We were all remote to start the school year in, uh, in the, at the end of August. And uh, we went to hybrid and our kids are coming every, every other day. Um, you know, that basically the population is split. We do have a, it's probably, I, it actually breaks down to like one third fully remote, like they're never coming to school. Right. One third uh, are on the gold schedule and one third are on the crimson schedule. Um, so except for a little shutdown where we had to be all remote in December, um, you know, we, we've been hybrid now since just before break and now and now after winter break. Yeah, so that, that obviously poses some massive challenges to 
you know, are, they're obviously not going to be doing it by grade level, right? They're like splitting every grade in half or, you know. Yeah, right. I think they, they did it by alphabet. So I think it was A through oh, K or L is is one schedule. And then like L to the to Z is the other schedule. Now, are, so when you say hybrid, because um, every music teacher, I've, I've spoken to music teachers who have not been in the same room as their ensemble since March of last year not physically in the same room and so yeah. you know you sit and talk to them and you're just, your heart is breaking you know for them because they just miss it are, are, are your kids actually in the room playing or is yes it, oh wow i love it yeah you know i was i was really proactive with um with our school district like i i crafted um a really proactive email about you know here's here's what there there's research being done you know that the aerosol studies that were coming out of University of Colorado at Boulder, I believe, yep. um, you know, I, I kept my superintendent, my, my building principal in the loop about, hey, there's these studies coming out. They're going to be studying, you know, how the aerosols, um, you know, and, and band instruments and what the results are. Um, so, you know, please include me in the conversation if there's an opportunity. And because I, I didn't want, you know, there were some schools that I know of, um, that they just got rid of the music program yep. uh, and yep. they just eliminated it. Like, we're not going to deal with this right now. And, you know, I didn't want that to happen because I mean, nobody thought COVID would happen and it happened. And I mean, anything was possible. So we, I really worked with my administration and was really open about, here's what the research says, Here what we, here's what we can do. We can get covers for the bells. We can get covers for the bags for the woodwind instruments. So, um, it was really fantastic because we bought instrument covers for all the instruments. Um, the school That's district great. foot the bill for that. Basically, we said the budget that we usually get each year, forget it. We're probably not going to really buy much music. We're just let's just put it all towards bell covers, woodwind bags, and they're like, "Yep, yeah, let's do it." So we've got kids in the in the band room. We've got kids in orchestra. We've got kids in chorus. Everybody's masked up. The instruments have, uh, you know, bell covers, woodwind bags. Um, everything is spaced out. We actually flipped our band room where we're teaching from the back because we could fit more kids in. If we just moved the podium and our little teaching station all the way to the back, we could actually fit more kids because everything is straight rows. Our percussion are in the very front of the classroom, like literally in front of the, the whiteboard. Um, so we were able to, to fit everyone in that we needed to. Um, it's obviously less numbers because we've had students that are fully remote and then with the hybrid, but um, it, it's working out, but it's been really a huge paradigm shift. Um, basically, what we used to do, we, we can't even do that anymore. And right. even though we have kids in the room, it's, it's smaller numbers and regular band pieces don't work. Um, so we've really had to kind of put our eggs in another basket. And we just decided as a music team um, over the summer that we were gonna focus on kids playing solos and, and chamber music, and really, not to say we weren't going to do a band piece, but um, let, let's just see how it goes, because, you know, really, there are very few flex pieces that had come out, and now there's a lot more, so we've been able to do some band pieces, but our, our, our paradigm really shifted to focusing on, you know, playing solos and, and ensembles, because that's, that's what we could do, that, that's what was manageable for us. Well, uh, let, let me just stop you right there, Keith, and say that I hope uh, people who are listening get a link to this podcast and send it to their administrators if they're in the position. I think you would probably agree that a lot of people just 
not music teachers, but the administrators just gave up on it. Just said, you can't do it. It's too dangerous. Forget it. Right. And it really took the wind out of a lot of people's sails. And I think a lot of music programs across the country are going to take a couple of years to get back to, you know, the February 2020 numbers um, yeah. because they just said, this is too difficult. We don't even want to try. Right. And it's interesting. And I, it may be geographical. I have no idea. But here on the East Coast, I'm in, I, I live uh, just north of New York City. It's just there. No one's doing it that I'm aware of. And really? I spoke to an amazing band director named Lita Sena Lopez, uh, maybe a month ago. I interviewed her. And on her first day, you know, she was like, there is no way that COVID's going to kill my program. I, I've been teaching for 30 years and I'm not going to have this happen. Yeah. So she went out and bought sewing kits for all of her band kids and taught them how to sew their own masks so that they could play, you know, and with holes in the mask so they could put their mouthpiece in. Yeah. And I was just like, that, that's so cool because music educators are the most resilient of all. And I think a lot of them, um, you know, they're, they're in a situation where their administrator just thinks it's too hard. And I absolutely love to hear because I think I, to be, I'm going to, maybe I'll go out on a limb here. I think too, too many have just said it's too hard. Um, and, and I think that it's, it's, it's an amazing accomplishment. And now I, I would imagine, are you, are are the kids playing concerts at all? I mean, are you, can you, how are you managing that? Yeah. So, you know, that kind of goes to the paradigm shift because um, yeah, there, there's no concerts right. like as far as like in the gym or, or, you know, in our finance center at the high school. Um, so it's like, okay, well, what can you do for performances? Well, um, I actually had some of my eighth graders do some small ensembles and we played Christmas music right. uh, in our, uh, downtown area in Batavia. Um, totally optional, but had a nice number of kids that did that and, and signed up. But our, we've been having the kids, you know, record on video and we put together a performance video, like a reel uh, of some of those performances when they were playing solos. Um, so it, the performances have looked different. And, um, you know, I've actually kind of been jealous and in awe of how some of these middle school and high school band programs have put together, um, you know, basically a concert on video, um, you know, where everybody's in a square and yeah. everybody's playing their parts. Uh, unfortunately, that's just not, we can't do that. Like we don't, we don't have access to that technology. We, we have all PCs and um, it really would, um, we probably have to spend the whole year trying to do that. <laughs> oh no, it's, and, it's, it's anywhere from 40 to 50 hours to do a three minute to do yeah. Video. So would we love to do that? Absolutely. But it just wasn't realistic for us to accomplish that yep. this year. So we had to do some things differently. Yeah. So, oh man, I, I, I now I just, I, I'm, I'm completely uh, uplifted by hearing that you guys are doing it. I just think it's fabulous. You're figuring it out. It's different. I like, you know, obviously it's a paradigm shift. Nobody really wants to be doing this, but you're making it work. Yeah. Um, yeah, so let's flip it now over to the technology side of things because um, I, obviously I, I came to know your name um, uh, through your work um, with Mike Olander on this on this uh, podcast, but also seeing you. So I know that I know that you're using the technology. I know that you're using music first, but I'd love to know like how you got into it. Was it because of COVID? Were you using it before? Like you know, tell us your sure. How did you get started with technology in your teaching? <clears throat> 
Um, I, I've just always really been interested in, in technology. And as a teacher, uh, you know, way back in like, you know, 2005, 2006, when web 2.0 was a thing and websites became a lot more interactive. Right. Um, that, that was really an exciting time because then there was actually things that I could use with my students. And, um, I was just really interested in, and Twitter, you know, had come about right about the same time. And that was just, um, just a great place to learn from other teachers and, and, and see what other people were using as, as far as technology. So, you know, we were just using it to share websites and, and ideas that we were doing. And I picked up a, a lot of tools from Twitter and, uh, you know, just started playing around with them. And really that's the best way to figure out how to use uh, a new tool or a piece of software is just start doing it. Um, so I, I was just into that. And um, from that experience, um, you know, it, and as technology has developed, um, I did have always just found ways to integrate it with, with what I'm teaching. Um, even though I'm teaching band, there's a lot of tools that um, really, it doesn't matter what, what you teach, you can use them. Like a good example of that is, um, is Edpuzzle. It's a, it's a platform where you can basically take a video from YouTube or Vimeo, or you can even create one of yourself and you upload it. And then throughout the timeline, you can ask questions and have your students answer them. So it can be a question. It could be a prompt like, Hey, I want you to listen for this. Um, it could be multi they're multiple choice, true and false, open-ended. And it's just a great way to facilitate a discussion uh, of a video rather than telling your kids, Hey, watch this video. Well, we don't really know if they're really watching them. Some will, some won't. Um, and it's just a, a really effective way to incorporate some video um, into your lesson. And the great part about it, Edpuzzle has this feature where you cannot skip ahead. So you have to answer the question before you can see more yeah. of the video. So that's, that's something I've been able to integrate in my, in my teaching. Um, but we were using Sight Reading Factory before COVID. Mm -hmm. um, we, let's see, I think about two or three years ago, we started using Sight Reading Factory as a standalone um, and was working great. Once COVID happened though, um, we were thinking we need something more because um, you know, we didn't know if we were gonna be back in school um, and we wanted something that was just gonna really help us out. So, you know, again, just being really proactive with the administrators, um, we, we looked into music first and just has a great, you know, suite of software tools. And our chorus teacher has a little bit different the band and orchestra have about the same. So we, we now are using practice first, um, site reading factory. Um, we didn't get soundtrack just because we had to, um, we can only spend so much. Yep. I get it. Um, <laughs> and I think musician was the other thing was the other piece of software that we got as well. So, um, luckily we eliminated something that we normally, the students were charged for. And I really think the pricing for music first is, is awesome. Um, I, I think it's not expensive at all. It's good value. And we are able to eliminate something we normally like charge a student fee for and replace it with um, the cost of, of adding on this software. So that really worked well. And luckily, things had been in the works prior to COVID to getting Music First approved by our technology department. Yeah. Um, so the stars just kind of aligned. We got the go ahead and we were able to, to start using Music First this year.
So um, the, the webinar that you did for us a couple of weeks ago was about sight reading factories. So I'd love to hear some of the things you're doing with it, how you're using it. Is it, you know, uh, be, for, those of, for those folks who have never used it before, it'd be great to get like an overview of, of what exactly you're doing with it. Yeah, so if you're not familiar, sight reading factory is little short exercises um, that are generated by, by the program and you input the parameters. You can choose the key, you can choose the time signature, uh, you choose the difficulty level, um, and then everything is customizable. You can adjust the ranges of the instruments. You can just have it generate rhythm only. You, if you only want it to have quarter notes and eighth notes, you can do that. There are uh, like six preset levels already in Sight Reading Factory, but you can easily just change those and make them your own. Like if you want something that have uh, quarters, eighth and sixteenths with no rest, you can do that. Um, so it's, it's highly customizable. Um, it works really well for us right now. We're supporting learning scales. So if we're learning um, like the, the concert A flat scale, um, I'll have the kids in, in less or in rehearsal. I'll just put the uh, sight reading factory exercises up on the projector and we'll just sight read eight to 10 short little four to eight measure exercises in the key of a flats. Um, and then I can assign the kids to do one the following week that they have to submit uh, on their own. Um, so it really supports learning, learning our scales. Uh, it's great for rhythms. Like, um, like when we were focusing on, on 16 notes, eighth, two sixteenths, two sixteenths and eighth, um, I was able to generate those exercises. We practice them in the full group, but then having the kids do an individual assignment so I can check, you know, and see what their progress is. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Keith, when I was, um, I, I've been giving music technology lectures and sessions and all that thing for, for literally 30 something years. And I would always say up until, well, until I left the classroom, I'd always say, look, I'm a full-time band director. I love technology, but I never use the technology during my rehearsals ever, ever, ever. It's always a supplemental thing that I do afterwards. And the reason why is I just don't have enough time. I got to get my concert ready. Now looking at Sight Reading Factory as a, as a quote unquote former band director, that is probably the one thing that I would have done frequently because everybody that's ever tried doing sight reading with an ensemble knows the pain actually that the your 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 whole entire soul gets a little bit crushed when you think about the idea of going <laughs> over to your closet pulling out an arrangement that's similar to what you're trying to teach the kids yeah handing those parts out you know do it it's like 15 minutes you know to and, and it may not even be successful and I, right. what i love about sight reading factory it's what i would call cheap and cheerful you know, it's behind your behind you on a on a whiteboard, and you're like, all right, parameters. It generates an example. You do it. It's over, and you move on. And and I I would bet that you've noticed. I, I haven't asked you this before, but I'll bet you've noticed that the kids are much better at sight reading. You know, by because they're doing it so frequently. Yes, absolutely. And um, you know, it's really important that we're not just using these technology tools just to use them because you know, oh, we bought them, we got to use them. Right. But they, they really shine, I think, when you use them in a supportive role. Like, if your intent is to accomplish a certain goal, like, I want the kids to play better in these certain keys, I want them to learn these certain rhythms. Um, that intentional use, um, I think, is, is how we see the biggest improvement in our students. No, absolutely. And that, that it's a tool. 
And so, you know, you're, yeah. play, you're playing a, a piece in concert A flat major. All right, let's let's read it and read it until all those kids have their concert D flats, you know, whatever, you yeah, know, whatever absolutely. the tricky bits. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's it's really great to to hear that. So, right. if I here's a question that that I I haven't asked too many other guests because we just we're we're getting now. I, I I'm sure like uh, like me, you see the horizon with uh, a little bright shining light, like this is over, going to be over in a couple more months, hopefully. Um, what do you think the the long term impact of all of this meaning? Like, do you think that once this is over and you're back in the room and you're playing and the band program is just like it was in 2019, do you still see yourself using technology? Is this has the do you, what do you think about you know all these teachers, all these music teachers across America have been using technology because they have to. I just want your thoughts completely random, you know, off the top of your head, what you think the impact will be once this is over. Do you think people will continue to use it? Will they drop it? Will they figure a way? Just love to know your insights. Well, I tell you, I think some teachers are going to continue to use it. I think there's some teachers that probably found a new tool that they love that they're going to continue to use. Right. Um, I, it'd be really difficult for me to make a blanket statement because because I know just from teaching, you know, some professional development classes and some graduate classes that people find a tool and they're like, I love this. I, I, I am totally going to use this all the time now. Um, there are going to be teachers that this is a terrible experience to them right now. Yeah. They, they weren't really into technology beforehand. And now this has kind of forced them to, to use it. And they are just still feeling like a fish out of water and they probably can't wait to get back to just playing music and that's fine that that's that's their comfort level um and i think there are people that were using technology before this started and knew exactly how to pivot and how we're going to navigate our program through this um so I, I really think there's probably three groups of people um but i think the most exciting are the people that find a new tool that they're using now and they will continue to yeah. to integrate that when when we're all done with this very cool so um, I'm looking at the clock and we're, 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 you know, towards, we're running out and I know you have, uh, you've got to get some kids to some, some other places as you're a, you're a parent as well. So I'd love to ask you a couple, just a couple more questions and then uh, we'll wrap it up, Keith. Um, so the first one is, I noticed that you, you, you obviously do some teaching yourself. Um, you know, you're, you teach at Vandercook, is that correct? Yes. Right. So, um, what advice do you give to music teachers who are looking to get into technology? You know, what, what is, you know, the people that are, you know, you said the three camps, the people who didn't like it before, <laughs> you know, what, what <laughs> advice do you give them about technology in terms of getting in, you know, getting their feet wet? So um, pro probably there's, there's two pieces of advice that I, I, I think I continually um, say and reinforce through, through my classes is um, there's a great book by Liz Kolb called, teaching or uh, learning first technology second. And it's really about using technology the right way and not using it because it's the new tool um, or, or just because it's, it's some, something that's just fun to use, but it's about using your, the technology intentionally for a purpose and then finding some strategies to then use that tool, uh, yeah. whether, you know, like co-use, like pairing up with a partner and using it together. Um, is just a really popular one. And that, that's a great way to introduce something new to your kids is have them work on it with a partner. Yep. Um, the other thing is some 
teachers just really struggle with this. They're, it's like they're afraid to get in and just start messing around with it and um, just start using it because you're, you're not going to break it. And there, there's a little bit of a fear factor with some teachers that, and it's, it's, they're just not comfortable with it. But really the best way is to, is to, is, is that hands-on learning, just get in and start using it and don't do it. Don't learn the tool while you're trying to use it with your kids. You have to be the experts. Like you have to spend some time and be a step or two ahead of your kids of what you're asking them to do, because when there's problems or they have questions, like you're the person that they come to. So, you know, figure it out on your own. You know, there's you, I mean, now there are so many YouTube videos of how to do this, how to do that. Like almost every software tool, somebody's created a how to on YouTube. Absolutely. So, you know, use your resources and, and, and learn the tool. You don't have to be an expert right away. Just stay a step or two ahead of your kids. Yeah. That's, that's but it's big. that hands-on like jumping in, just, just start, you just start doing it. Yeah. I teach, um, I teach uh, some graduate courses and I teach Ableton live in my intermediate advanced class. And I am literally one step ahead of the students. And, and one thing that I've always found really fascinating is when a student asks me a question like, oh, so if I'm going to do a side chain thing here and I want to get that on a sub fade or what am I, you know, what I, what I do is I say, well, I have absolutely no idea what the answer to your question is. Let's try to find that out together. Yeah. And so I'll show them how, you know, how to YouTube it and, or how to search for it on YouTube and then we'll find it out together. And at, at first I was always like, oh, maybe the, maybe the students, cause I, you know, it's at an Ivy league university, all graduate students that they'll think, wow, this guy really doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> but even at that level, um, I think people appreciate it. I think kids do too. They appreciate when they see you going, all right, I've got to figure this out because I don't know the answer. You can't know the answer to everything. Right. But yeah, staying one or two steps ahead is a good place to start. I love that advice. That's great. All right, Keith. So my last question for you is the one I ask everyone, which is about the magic wand question. And so if you could wave a magic wand and change anything about music first or add a feature to music first or any type of technology, what would it be? Oh, man. Um, well, you know what? You posted something the other day on Facebook about, um, I don't remember what software you posted oh, about, yeah, but there was a student flat. view of, of, of the software. And like, for example... Like I wish Google Classroom in our district, we could have a, a student account that we could go in and see, well, what does it look like from the student point of view? Because it looks different as a teacher. I wish really all software had that feature where you can see it from a student because that would just make us better teachers and we know exactly what directions to give kids. Um, you know, but I, here I'm gonna take it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say one more thing too. Like um, in the fall, our, all of our kids were, were playing solos out of um, a, a couple of method books. And they were all on practice first, but there was no piano accompaniment available with the solos wow. at all. So it would have been it would have been great for the kids to go in and not only just learn their part, but then be able to have that accompaniment to go along because there's band pieces on there that have all the accompaniment uh, too, where they aren't just hearing their own part, but they're hearing the band parts. Right. And But some of those individual um, solos are, are missing that so i don't know if there's any that have the piano part but that would have been i'm like oh that would have been great so we just found a workaround i um actually found the accompaniments online on the joe site so we were able to download them and then um put them in audacity and we made two versions we made a normal speed and we made a slow version so audacity was great for that because we could just 
Oh, I love Audacity. There's a tool for that. Slow it down. Okay, here we go. We upload them to Google Classroom, and then the kids could practice them. But it was it was a great learning experience for the kids because they had to play their solo at a certain tempo, um, and and see it through from the beginning to the end. So we you know we had a workaround, but it was it was a great experience. I tell you what, Keith. I will. Um, first of all, the the view as student, which was uh, flat, announced it. They're the only ones that do it. By the way, it's actually technically very very difficult. Uh, it, it sounds really simple. It sounds like an obvious thing, but it's extremely difficult because yeah, it's it's having each you know every software title on the planet has a role that the user has when they come in, and then it changes the way it looks. And mm -hmm. uh, it's 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 easier said than done. So we almost always say just get a you know buy one extra seat as a like a dummy student and yes, for lack of a better term, like a, yeah. a generic student, and then you can use that student in all your classes to see but it's a little bit of a hassle. Um, we love the folks at flat for doing that. And I hope other I hope some of our other vendor partners consider it is it, it, it is an extremely cool feature. But on the practice first solo accompaniments, um, we hear you loud and clear. Um, we are constantly bringing new content in and when we hear those kind of things we take it very seriously so i'll look into getting those piano accompaniments in there for that you. that would be wonderful excellent well keith um it's been a real pleasure to chat with you um absolutely i, I would um i would wish you all the best and i hope that uh your school year i mean i think you're in a better uh, you know, I don't know exactly, I'm not there with you day to day, but you're in a better position than a lot in the fact that you're still kind of actively making music with kids in the same room. I know yes. so many teachers are jealous of that. Um, but I, I know that, um, like every other music teacher, you know, we look forward to getting back to quote unquote, uh, you know, the good old days, which aren't that long ago and very true and seeing yep. the other side of this. And, and uh, I, I hope you'll stay in touch and keep posting on on our Facebook group, because I know that everybody appreciates your insights. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks, Keith. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks. It was a lot of fun. All right. Be good. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.